0: What up, y'all? Welcome back to another edition of the DNBR Rams podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download it today. Use the promo code DNBR when you sign up. All right, y'all. It is Sunday night, so we're about 48 hours removed from that big-time win for the men's team over Wyoming. Orange out, incredible atmosphere, sellout crowd. I mean, really just everything you could hope for as a college basketball fan. I have a couple of written features out on that game, so if you missed those, go check that out, the Dnbr.com. Also had a post-game pod with takeaways and audio from Nico Medved, so check that out as well. We're going to talk about the women's team here in the intro, lost a tough one up in Laramie last night. The game was on national TV, though, so that was kind of cool as far as exposure goes for the program but the Rams ultimately came up short in Laramie, fell 76-60. to The Cowgirls closed on a 14-2 run, a huge disparity in free throw attempts in this one. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Then we will get into some potential rule changes for college football in 2023 and whether or not they would be beneficial, whether college football needs them, all of that. And then I will also talk about the debate of who is the greatest CSU football player of the 21st century. Big Game Boomer did his thing recently where he listed the, the best player in the 21st century for every FBS program. He put Richard Higgins, that sparked a debate. I put a poll out from the DNVR account on Twitter asking people for their input, whether it should be BVP, Hollywood, Trey McBride, or somebody else. So we'll get into that, have a little bit of fun with it. Before we talk about all this, though, there has never been a better time to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app than right now, whether it's hockey, college basketball, obviously we've got March Madness coming up, the NBA, the Nuggets coming off of a big win over the Clippers tonight, got a little bit of a redemption after a tough loss to David Roddy and the Grizzlies the night before, you can get your preseason baseball bets in. And what's really cool is you can build an SGP, which stands for Same Game Parlay. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost on that. And you can actually get your bet back up to $10 if that doesn't hit. Get a second opportunity to win big. You know, the other night, I barely missed out on a Nuggets SGP. Got the bet back. That's all right. Ended up hitting on a college basketball bet. Nobody has your back like DraftKings. And right now, if you download the app and sign up with the code DNVR, new customers can actually bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with that code DNVR. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I also want to tell you guys about the Breckenridge Ultimate Game Day Experience Giveaway. Breckenridge Brewery and DNVR have teamed up to give some lucky DNVR fans the ultimate game day experience. This includes VIP tickets, Club Lexus access, a parking pass, DNVR merch, and more. On March 9th, DNVR and Breck are giving away a pair of Avs tickets for the Kings game that is going to be in Section 102. It is right behind the Avs bench, Row 5 incredible, incredible seats. Your drinks are included in that. You can get hooked up with snacks. It's really, really fun. On the 30th, we're given a pair of Nuggets tickets away. Those will be courtside row two. Again, whether you win the Avs or the Nuggets, you're going to get Club Lexus access, a parking pass, DNVR gear, two tickets. It is really a sweet deal. If you'd like to enter, head over to the DNVR.com slash break Sweepstakes. We will be giving out These tickets one week before the game. You must be 21 or older to enter. Again, that is thednvr.com/slash break sweepstakes. We will give those tickets out a week before the game. So you're running out of time for that Avs game on the ninth. Make sure you do not miss out on this incredible opportunity. All right, let's start with that women's loss. We're not going to spend a ton of time on it since they ultimately lost the game and now cannot clinch that two seed. But One of the things that has concerned me about this group, despite all the offensive firepower that they have, despite all the skill and talent that they have on the roster, is that they have not been very good in close games. I mean, I think they lost their first seven games decided by two or less possessions, actually finally snapped that streak when they beat Wyoming in the first of the two games a couple weeks back. In this one, though, they just... They seemed tight, especially offensively. The score was 9 to 6 Wyoming after the first and they deserve a lot of credit for the aggressive on-ball defense that they did. They did a good job of, you know, staying in McKenna's face, not letting her, you know, run around and create for herself or others. But even if the defense was good, and it was, you know, the the Cowgirls deserve credit. There were a lot of open jump shots that CSU just left short. Some unnecessary turnovers as well. Fortunately, Wyoming struggled with turnovers early, and that allowed CSU to kind of hang around despite not being able to make a, make a basket. They went seven minutes without making a field goal in that first quarter. McKenna did make an important mid-range jumper late in that quarter, and that kind of got her going, then came out in the second and had seven more points after that, nine straight at one point. Kendall Kinzer got it going from deep as well. She hit three consecutive threes in that second quarter. Unfortunately, cooled off drastically after that, finished 4 of 9 from deep in the game. But ultimately, the biggest difference in the game was free throws. I mean, CSU got called for 21 team fouls, only 11 for Wyoming. The Cowgirls got 26 attempts from the free throw line. They made 24 of them, so kudos to them for knocking them down. But 26 free throw attempts versus only 8 for CSU. But what was especially insane was that 19 of those free throw attempts came in the fourth quarter. The final 10 minutes of action were all essentially played at the free throw line. So I thought that was kind of a crummy way for what had been a really competitive and fun game to ultimately be decided. That said, you have to credit Wyoming for knocking down those free throws as well. Especially Ferdig, who went 7-7 from the line in that fourth quarter and had 15 points over the final 10 minutes of play. Outside in the disparity in free-throw shooting, I would say turnovers were a big factor. CSU had 13 in the game, significantly more than what we're used to seeing from this squad, typically one of the more efficient and uh, one of the better teams in the country when it comes to valuing their offensive possessions, limiting giveaways. Wyoming also owned the glass. They finished with a plus 15 advantage in total rebounds, plus five in offensive rebounds, 10 second chance points, zero second chance points for CSU. They just played with a lot more intensity consistently throughout those four quarters. They really forced the issue. Probably benefited fairly significantly from, you know, getting a a pretty one-sided whistle. But CSU is going to have to dig deep here going into the home finale against Boise State and then the Mountain West Tournament because they just, they have not been the most poised group in these tight games. And I just wonder if collectively they're going to be tough enough to be able to survive the gauntlet that is a conference tournament. It's hard to win three games in three days, especially when you're probably going to have to play Wyoming, San Diego State for a third time. You know, If you get to the title game, very likely going to face UNLV against any of those teams. Barring something fluky, it's not going to be like one of those regular season wins where the Rams get up by 25 and just cruise. It's probably going to be a grinded out type matchup. And I just wonder if you know, CSU can, can win that type of game because they really have not shown the ability to do it consistently. And I think some of it has to do with the fact that the Rams are really a finesse skill team and you can kind of play bully ball with them. If McKenna is not getting calls, you know, she's a little bit easier to disrupt despite as, as fast as she is and as skilled as she is, you can kind of body her a little bit and throw her off when she's going for a layup. The refs aren't calling that you can do that all night. The Rams don't really have a consistent post presence either. I mean, you look at somebody like Ferdig, who's just a mismatch for CSU. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this group adjusts. The one thing I do know, you can't turn the ball over 13 times. Uh, You can't have your best player go 7-21 to from the floor. You can't finish minus 15 on the glass. Got to clean it all up going into the conference tournament. The silver lining, of course, is that you still have McKenna Hofschild. You still have one of the best point guards in all of college basketball. You've got Destiny Thurman an experienced player, a three-level scorer, you know, kinzer when she's hot, she can light it up, unfortunately cooled off in that second half, but her ability to stretch the floor is huge. I mean, when this team is flying around and they're they're sharing the rock and they're they're hitting shots from deep, it's a lot of fun to watch. They can outshoot anybody in this conference. I do just wonder if the more physical style that inherently comes with the conference tournament format is going to be a problem for CSU and We'll see. They've got experience, you know. I, I have a lot of faith in Ryan Williams. I have a lot of faith in these players, but they just don't have a ton of size, and you know, unfortunately, their track record has not been great in these type of games so far. Anyways, with the loss, Wyoming clinches the two seed. CSU trying to hold on to that three seed, need to get that win over Boise State though, who's nipping at their heels. And ultimately, it's all about getting to that conference title game and just having a shot. I mean, all the pressure is on UNLV. If they make it to the title game, they've had what, like 27 wins. They haven't lost in conference play yet. Even so, if they lose that title game, they're not going to the NCAA tournament. And historically, we've seen teams in that position, including CSU, really tense up. So we'll see what happens. If this team can get to the title game, anything is certainly possible. I would love to see McKenna Hofshield get an opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament, but just collectively as a whole, This team needs to be tougher, and they need to be ready for these tight moments where the game slows down, the other teams get more physical, and it just becomes about grinding it out. All right, let's move on. Let's talk a little foosball, a little college football. The Football Playing Rules Committee, according to Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, is currently exploring a couple of different options to try and make college football games shorter in 2022 the average duration for an fps game was 3 hours and 21 minutes that is a 5 year high and honestly even as somebody that loves this sport that you know consumes it 365 days a year it's gotten to be a bit much so if they could find a way to shave you know 20 25 minutes off of this i would be all for it the thing that i want to say though is you have to be careful that you don't do what baseball is currently doing and that is making changes potentially at the detriment of your supporters. You know, baseball is making all these wonky changes, pitch clocks, doing stuff where like if you're not set in the batter's box, you know, it's an automatic strike. And while I understand the thought process, they're trying to speed up the game. It's a problem just like it is in college football. At the end of the day, I don't think the changes that they're making are going to all of a sudden draw in people and, and get them to watch baseball if they weren't before. And you might actually alienate and push away the people that loved your sport in the first place. It's a really delicate balance, and it's a challenging position to be in because you do have to evolve. You know, you do constantly have to be changing. Sports are always changing. But the decisions that you make, the changes that you implement, have to be very strategic. You can't just make change for the sake of change. Otherwise, you end up with this stupid shit we have now with triple overtime where it just becomes a two-point contest. Anyways, the proposed rule changes, according to Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, number one, prohibiting consecutive timeouts, i.e. icing the kickers and no longer extending a first or third quarter for an untimed down if the quarter ends on a defensive penalty. Instead, you would just pick up play on the first play in the second or fourth quarter. As far as these rule changes go, they're going to be pretty minuscule as far as the amount of time that they're taking off. I'm all for not icing the kicker just because I think it's stupid, not because I think it's a a valuable thing to change, but I would be fine if the NCAA wanted to implement both of those. The third proposal that is garnering the most support, according to Dellinger, is that the clock will continue to run after an offense gains a first down, except inside of two minutes and a half. So right now, obviously, that's the big difference between the NFL and college football. The clock always stops for a first down in college football until the chains are set. We would be eliminating that, except for in the final two minutes, which I actually like a lot because I like in college football where the offenses aren't quite as polished as at the NFL. They're not going to execute the two-minute drill you know, quite as consistently. You have the benefit of getting that clock stoppage. But I don't know if it's necessary in the first 13 minutes of of action, and you could probably shave a pretty significant amount of time by making this change. The fourth proposal, which I would be shocked if if it passes, is that the clock will just continue to run even after an incomplete pass. As soon as the ball is spotted, it is going to run. That's not football. That's dumb. That'd be up there with some of the stupid stuff we're seeing from baseball right now. It's not gonna make anything better. You're not gonna draw in more people, and you're potentially like changing the the game as you know it and you know pushing people away that loved college football in the first place. So the first three, I'm all for. The the fourth, that's dumb. That's not even football. As far as the timetable goes, the changes could be implemented this fall. I'd still be several weeks away before we got any type of final approval, but just certainly something to keep an eye on. At the end of the day, I'm all for making minor tweaks to potentially speed up this process, make college football games faster, not just for people watching on TV, but it's worse when you're in the stands and you see how much they're just standing around on the sideline for media timeouts. The big thing for me is you just don't want to lose the spirit of college football or what makes it unique or potentially alienate your audience. And I think that's the a tough balance that you have to strike when you're working on this type of stuff, and it's going to be hard for all sports moving forward. But I do like a couple of those changes. Let's move on. Let's talk about the greatest CSU football player in the 21st century. Real quick, though, I do have to tell you guys about GameTime, the hottest new ticketing site that makes it easier than ever to score the best deals on tickets to sports, concerts, and shows. Have you ever dreamed of sitting in a seat you never thought you could, 50-yard line, courtside, maybe behind home plate? floor seats at a concert. It's all possible with the GameTime app. The biggest last minute price drops can be found on the seats you never thought you could buy. You're not going to find a better deal this season on anything. Rockies tickets, Nuggets tickets, Rams tickets, you name it, Than you will with GameTime. And that's because it was created by the fans for the fans and they guarantee the lowest price. If you love DNVR, then you're going to love Game Time. The best way to support us is by buying your tickets through the link in the description. Join over 15 million people who have downloaded the GameTime app and score the best seats to all your favorite events. I also have to give you my DraftKings Pick of the Week. DraftKings Pick of the Week. Looking at some of the futures we have for college basketball, you can bet on teams to make the tournament, make the Final Four. You can bet on them to win it all. I would wait until you see how the seating lines up on some of that stuff. However, you can also look at some of the conference tournament action. I'm going to the Summit League. Oral Roberts at minus 180. They went undefeated in league play this year. You do worry a little bit about a team like South Dakota State getting hot. You can get them at plus 400. Pretty good value. That said, the difference between them and everybody else feels you know, pretty similar to Gonzaga and the WCC most years this year. That's not the case, actually, with St. Mary's. Both of those teams at minus 110 to win the WCC. I love Oral Roberts to win the Summit League tournament, though. Lock it in, DraftKings pick of the week, minus 180. Cool, cool, cool. Who is the greatest CSU football player of the 21st century? It's deceptively hard to answer, and I have spent significantly more time thinking about this over the last couple of days than I would care to admit, but before we give out who I think are the logical choices to be in the conversation and ultimately give my answer. I do want to lay out a couple of ground rules that I had. First off, greatest is not just pure talent. It's not who is the best football player to have played for the Rams. It's about status. It's about legacy. Talent is in there for sure, but it it means more than that. And Your legacy and status are probably even more important than skill itself, at least in my opinion. A great example of this is the quarterback position. In terms of pure skill, talent, Bradley Van Pelt's not even a top five quarterback in CSU football history. Moses Moreno, Garrett Grayson, Nick stevens all those guys you would take over him. Colin Hill, Matt Newton, those are better pure passers as well. My my point is there are better guys that have come through the program in terms of just playing the quarterback position, but they don't even touch BVP's legacy or or what he meant to CSU football. And that's where this gets kind of wonky and complicated. And just subjective. I mean, it's going to be impacted by your age. You know, what era did you live through? How old were you during these certain eras? Nostalgia and emotional attachment come into play. You know, what type of memories do you have associated with these certain individuals? It's a really loaded question, and there's a lot of different avenues that you can go down. The one thing that I wanted to eliminate, though, is NFL success. It does not matter. NFL success does not factor into this equation. Tim Tebow is the greatest Florida quarterback of all time. What he did in the NFL does not matter. And that's not to say that having success professionally isn't a cool thing or doesn't impact these players' individual legacies. But when it comes to determining the question or answering the question of greatest CSU football player of all time, it's just their collegiate legacy. At least that's what I'm factoring into it. With that in mind, there are, in my opinion, Five guys that you can really make a pretty strong argument for. Bradley Van Pelt, Richard Higgins, Trey McBride, Shaquille Barrett, and Weston Richburg. I do think when it comes to just their individual skill, what they meant to CSU, how popular they were, you could probably put Ryan Stonehouse in this uh, conversation as well. But a punter is not going to win in this scenario, fair or not. Um... So I didn't, I didn't include him, but I, I think you could make an argument for him. Some other guys I think you could make an argument for Garrett Grayson, Nick Stevens, uh, Capri Bibbs. Capri Bibbs might be the most individually dominant CSU player I've ever seen, but he only played here for one year, and that's not enough. Uh, Daylon Dawkins, Michael Gallup. I mean, there's, there's a, just a ton of players you could highlight. But I do think those first five that I named, BVP, Richard, Trey McBride, Shaq, and Weston best fit the parameters that I have laid out. So let's get into it. Let's let's first talk about Bradley Van Pelt because he is the most obvious choice, the most popular player in program history, in my opinion. And a lot of that has to do with the era in which he was quarterback, you know, kind of the, the height of CSU football under Sonny Lubick there, the late 90s, early 2000s, really, I'd say that. The late '90s was the height, but it extended into those early 2000s. Year in and year out, the Rams were in the mix for the top 25, sometimes even the top 15. They were in a Mountain West conference that was significantly tougher than it is today. I mean, some of those BYU and, and Utah teams of the early to mid 2000s were just absurd. But that's kind of what made Bradley so special. Was in those biggest moments, he always seemed to elevate himself and the team, and you know he was twenty four and fifteen as a starter at CSU, which is good. I, I actually thought it would have been a little bit better than that. But he went two and one against Wyoming, three and zero oh against Air Force, two and one against Utah, two and one against BYU, did go one and two against CU, but beat a top ten CU team, had the head spike in that game and then gave us the greatest postgame quote of all time, which was that's the sorriest number six team I've ever seen. BVP won the games that mattered most. When the lights were brightest, he always showed up. He was really exciting. He played with his heart on his sleeve. He was talking trash. like He was everything that makes college football fun. Certainly benefited from playing behind some stellar offensive lines, had some stellar teammates over the years as well, whether you're looking at David Anderson at wide receiver, Cecil Sapp. Both of those guys could be in the conversation for greatest player of the 21st century as well. But I think what just made Bradley so endearing, aside from the success that he had in those big moments, was just with how much emotion he played, it felt like it mattered to him as much as it mattered to the the people in the stands. And, and I don't know if that's always the case in sports today. I'm not sure it's necessarily healthy that I feel this way, but there are times when I you know see my favorite team lose and afterwards they're you know smiling dapping up taking pictures with the other team like it it just gets under my skin a little bit you know i want i want you to care the way that i care and bvp played that way and just the fact that 20 years later his legacy is still as strong as ever i i don't know if he can be touched when it comes to this conversation and again it, he's not the best football player he wasn't the most athletic. He wasn't the most skilled. He wasn't the most intelligent, the most poised, any of that. But he played every single down like it was his last. He won the games that mattered, and he just made it fun to be a CSU Rams fan, which at the end of the day, like that's what it's all about. He made it fun to bleed green and gold. Another guy that clearly was fun to watch, Richard Hollywood Higgins, another guy that had... You know, the attitude, the, the persona on top of the playing abilities, similar to BVP, you know, just have that swagger to him when you come in calling yourself Hollywood as a true freshman. You know, you kind of got to live up to it. And he did. I mean, there was a stretch there down that second half of 2013 and then all of 2014 where he was straight up uncoverable. Recorded 238 catches for 3,648 yards and 31 touchdowns in his CSU career. Averaged 15.3 yards per reception. Three-time All-Conference Selection 2014 finalist for the Blitnikoff Award. Still feel like he got screwed on that one. And much like BVP, when the lights were brightest, when the moments were biggest, Richard was always going to come up with the big catch. You know, I think about... That Utah State game in two thousand and fourteen, homecoming at Hughes, and the big catch that he sat or had to set up Jared Roberts game winning field goal attempt. Everyone in the stadium knew that ball was going to Hollywood. It did not matter unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, has not had the career professionally that I think he was capable of, or you know, just kind of some circumstances that are out of his control being with a crappy organization like the Browns, all the instability that they had, politics as well. But that's all beside the point, because what happened professionally does not matter. What he did at CSU will be hard to touch, and I don't know if we'll see, you know, another receiver run like we did. Hopefully, you know, in the air raid, we kind of see more of this. I think Torrey Horton is an absolute stud and and very Higgins-esque with his game. More of a vertical threat and, and less in the in- intermediate than what we saw out of Richard, but I also think a lot of that had to do with just the state of the offense and where the Rams were at last year, and I, I don't think we've seen everything that Torrey can do yet, but Richard is as fun of a college football player as there has been. He was as skilled and talented as anybody that I've seen play in this program. But I'm not sure that his legacy is quite on par with BVPs. And that's where this gets really tough. Because again, you know, raw talent, skill, I I would take Higgins. But what they meant to CSU, I I would take BVP. And this is where it gets really hard for me. Because now you have a player that kind of meets both of these. And that is Trey McBride. Trey McBride, a unanimous All-American, a Mackey Award winner. That alone, I mean, puts him in rare company. I mean, really separates him from everybody else, being a unanimous All-American and a national award winner. But I think with Trey, it's what he meant to CSU during some really difficult times. He didn't get to play on the teams that won, like BVP, like Richard Higgins. He was a ram during one of the most difficult stretches. He could have gone to the SEC. He could have declared early for the draft, but he stuck around, and he gave CSU fans you know, a light to to follow, something to be proud of during one of the darkest times in program history. And that holds a lot of weight for me. Like, I, I don't think I ever would have expected to have somebody even be in the conversation with BVP. As much as I love Higgins, I don't think he can top BVP in terms of the, the greatest player of the 21st century. More skill, yes. Doesn't have the legacy, though. Trey, I don't know, because I think... He's as talented as Richard at his respective position. He's a freak athletically, just a total mismatch. But he also has that legacy factor in a major way with just what he accomplished and what he meant to CSU. I really think I could talk myself into Trey being the right answer here. I don't know if I can talk myself into Richard over PvP. As much as I loved him and as as skilled and as great as he was, I just think the legacy factor is where it gets interesting. And that's the same deal with a guy like Shaq Barrett, who, I mean, he has the Washington State game, obviously was the defensive player of the year for the conference in 2013. He was a great Ram, straight up unblockable, but as skilled as he was, and and he definitely was still a fan favorite. I don't, I don't remember him being quite as popular back then, you know, at CSU as Capri or Richard or even Garrett Grayson, like everybody loved him, but I think He's a guy who's really been elevated by what he's accomplished in the NFL, and he should. He's one of the best pass rushers in the in the league, and it's such a cool story going from undrafted to two-time Super Bowl champion. But I would put his legacy just a tad below some of these other guys. Um, it's really close, though, and I again, I could probably be talked into it. The last guy, Weston Richburg, not going to get as much love just because he's a center, but four-year starter. Maybe actually the best at his respective position out of any of these guys. That's how smart and how skilled he was. I don't think that offensive line in 2013-2014 gets the credit that it deserves. I mean, it's the reason that offense was as firepower or had so much firepower. Obviously, having great skill, great talent under center and, you know, in the backfield and at the receiver position, that matters as well. But as we saw last year, you don't have a line that can, you know, give those guys time. It's all a moot point. Similarly to Stonehouse, I would say you can't really give this title to a center, whether that's fair or not. So I don't think he gets it, but I I definitely think that he deserves to be in this conversation and I would put him in my final five. As far as, you know, coming to an answer, I I think it's got to be Trey McBride or BVP. I still probably lean BVP just because of the nostalgic factor and, you know, again, emotional attachment. But Man, I, when you really look at what Trey accomplished in his career and you factor in just the loyalty component, it's it's tough. And I, I think he has a really strong case. Anyways, that's all I have for this one. We're going to be talking plenty of hoops throughout the week. Obviously got the conference tournament coming up here in just over a week. Got March Madness after that. And then Spring Ball is going to be here before we know it. Shout out to all you guys for continuing to support the content. Make sure you go check out those features I published you missed any of the other podcasts as well shout out to our presenting sponsors DraftKings sportsbook use that uh, promo code dnvr when you sign up much love y'all peace